Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight I want to look in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, uh, we'll read the whole, whole chapter, and it's an interesting chapter, but the subject matter of um, this particular chapter it reminded me of books that I read years and years ago. Uh, of, I mean, it's probably 25 plus years ago that Frank Peretti uh, put some books out. And it, one was called This Present Darkness and the other one was called Piercing the Darkness. And, and the, the story follows, I mean, there's a Christian preacher and a newspaper reporter and what they do is they unearth this new age plot to take over the local community and eventually to take over the world. But not only does the, the book portray what's going on in the visible world, it also portrays what's going on in the invisible world because in almost every page, it describes the sulfur-breathing, black-winged, slobbering demons who are battling with tall, handsome, angelic warriors in a level of reality that is beyond our senses. Uh, Frank Peretti is a Christian author. Um, his books are something else if you've ever read them, but I mean, it is just an interesting, you know, it, 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 it showed something, something that we don't think about that often. Because, yeah, okay, so for the book, it was the New Age believers versus the Christian believers. But, it was the unseen world, this battle between good and evil and the unseen world that was influencing things. But they, in turn, were influenced by the power of prayer. And so it was interesting. I mean, it was fiction, but it talked about a reality that we don't think about that often. The interaction between the physical and the spiritual. Now, the books themselves are a great read. Don't know how theologically accurate everything is. But they bring our attention to this reality, the invisible world of the spirit world and the visible world of the physical are closely knit together. They affect one another in ways that God allows and in ways that God ordains. And so much that we see going on in the world is nothing but the storefront for what is going on behind the scenes. The sinister and devious plans of wickedness in the spiritual world. And, you know, when you look at the news and you wonder, why, what is going on with all this evil? And what's going on with all these evil people? Don't stop there. Peel the onion a little bit more. And think about what spiritual power is behind what is going on. See, these are the battles that we face. Yeah, we have the physical world and we're dealing with these trials and tribulations that we go through in the physical world. But there is something spiritual going on as well. There's something raging in the spiritual world, in the higher heavenly places that we don't have a full understanding of, but we do get glimpses here and there. 
And yet the Bible, because, of the, I mean, the spiritual world is just kind of beyond us. It, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of glance of what's going on behind the scenes, but it does give some. And we want to look at one little brief glance that Daniel gets. We want to, he, he, he gets kind of an insider's view of a battle that's going on all around him, and he, he hasn't seen one thing. You know, we think about Elisha and his servant, and when the army was surrounding the city, and, and Elisha's servant was all stressed out, and oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes to see what's going on, and there were all those fiery chariots around them who were going to do battle for them. The spiritual world, the spiritual realm is a reality. It's as much of a reality. You know, we somehow we might just think of it as fiction. Ah, that's that's fiction. Even we Christians, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's in the Bible, but I mean, no, uh, hear me. What happens in the spiritual realm is as real as anything as you can see, hear, touch, taste, smell, you know, whatever the senses. It is just as real, and it affects you and me just as much as anything on this earth does. And so consider that, and consider that something that, again, you know, I'll make mention of just uh, again in a minute, we are told that's where the real battle is happening. And so if we want to do battle, that's where we do the battle, in that realm with spiritual weapons. Some people think, oh, that's a bunch of fiction. That's science fiction. Al, you have been watching so much Star Wars and you've been watching so much Lord of the Rings and stuff, you're starting to, you're starting to get fantasy and reality all mixed up. No, if, you're going, if, if you claim to be a Christian, you've you got to believe that as well. The Bible tells us there's angels. The Bible tells us there's demons. The Bible tells us there's God. The Bible tells us there's Satan. It's all real. So what do, what do we do with that? How do we process that? Well, let, let's read Daniel chapter 10 and see what's going on here in Daniel and, and see what we learn about this world. It says that in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian given name, and the word was true and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So here's the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. 
So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly love, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he, the original angel, said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I'll tell you what, what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. So there's a, a whole lot there, and I went really fast. But Daniel starts to, to, telling about this other vision that he has, and actually this, chapter 10 is just kind of the introduction to the vision. And it, it, the rest of the vision is described in verses 11 and 12, what is going to happen to Israel? Now, Daniel is a prophet who is beloved of God. He lived faithfully in the midst of a pagan nation and in the midst of pagan empires. And that's no easy task to remain faithful when you're in the midst of pagans. But Daniel, he served God with great devotion. I mean, we, we notice when you read through the entire book of Daniel, he's a man who's devoted to prayer. He's a man who will not compromise his convictions or the laws of God. He is devoted he is to God. And because of these things, God grants him visions of what the future holds for Israel. He is God's vessel to tell Israel, well, this is what God's plans are for you. This is what's going to happen to you over the next many years, many centuries. In this chapter, we find Daniel, he's anguishing in prayer and fasting. Because he's troubled about what's going to happen to the people. You know, the, the Babylonian Empire took him and, and, and took uh, Israel into captivity, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and everything. Well, decades later, now the Medo-Persian Empire has taken over. But now they've allowed the Israelites to start returning home, including rebuilding Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. However, on the more kind of local level, 
where things are happening in Jerusalem, the Jews faced a lot of opposition to the rebuilding process. And for the most part, the, the whole work had slowed to a halt. Daniel mourned that there was so much opposition. There were so many things frustrating the works of God's people. And so, because he, he, what did Daniel do? Daniel did what Daniel always did. He went and prayed. And he prayed, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he prayed. And, and, and God dispatches an angel to answer Daniel's prayer. Daniel lifted up this prayer. What in the world is going to happen to my people? Yeah, okay, the 70 years of captivity that Jeremiah had talked about has passed. Our people have finally gotten back to Jerusalem. We're starting to rebuild, and now we're having all these problems. Lord, what is going on? Your word said 70 years. Your word said we would rebuild. Your word said this would happen. And then what, what's going on? So God dispatches an angel to give Daniel the answer and to give Daniel a vision and to encourage Daniel to tell Daniel what is going to happen in the future of Israel. But something happened to the angel, which in, in a sense, I mean, in, in a it gives us an answer of what's going on with the opposition that the people in Jerusalem are facing. And, and here is one of the most clear pictures about what goes, behind, goes on behind the scenes. I mean, Daniel chapter 10 reads like a Frank Peretti book. But it's not. It's a, the inspired word of God. So this unnamed angel, many think that, they speculate that it's Gabriel again. But the angel's not named. We don't know. But this angel is something to behold. This description of the angel in his appearance is awe-inspiring. And in, in, in many ways, it's reminiscent of how Christ is described in Revelation 1, but this isn't Christ. But it, it's telling us that this angel is a reflection of the glory uh, of God, the God whom he serves. Now, Daniel's the only one who sees the angel. He's the only one who sees the vision. He's not alone in that room. He's with a bunch of other guys, but they don't see the angel, but some sort of dread just kind of comes over them. There, there's something going on around here. They don't like it, and so they want out. So they get out of there. They hightail it. And once the others left, Daniel is overwhelmed by the experience. He's so overwhelmed, he passes out. And he needs another angel to come and kind of give him some strength. He's touched He's touched by that angel, another angel's there saying, come on, come on, listen, listen to the, this angel here. Hear the message that God has for you. This angel explains that from the first moment that Daniel prayed to God, the first moment that he sought understanding, why, why are these things happening to the Jews? God sent the angel forth to give the vision. But the angel ran into a bit of a problem. This angel was opposed by the prince of the kingdom of Persia for 21 days, and it prevented the angel from completing his mission. So now remember, in verse 2, it says that you know Daniel had been mourning and fasting and praying for 21 days. So from the moment that Daniel started praying and fasting, wanting an answer to 
What in the world is going on with my people? Why is there so much opposition? Why aren't things happening like I thought they should according to God's word? God sent the answer. But then the angel got stuck with these other spiritual forces. These other spiritual forces prevented the angel from delivering the answer. So I, I, I want that to sink in for a moment. Because that just sounds weird. I mean, how could an angel of God be opposed like that? There was this battle going on behind the scenes. And it prevented the answer to prayer, when, at least in the immediate. The invisible was affecting what was happening in the visible. With that in mind, we need to take Paul's exhortations very seriously. We need to consider them. When Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, he writes to remind us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. While we're dealing with the things on the physical level, we're not really dealing with things on the physical level. There's more behind the scenes. And we wrestle, and we fight, and we do battle. Because we are battling against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil. When was the last time you ever thought about that? That there is something going on in the invisible behind whatever is going on that you see going on. And so we do battle, but we don't battle like we normally think we do battle. Again, in 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There's battles going on in the, in the spiritual. What we, what we see here, there's this other spiritual being who this angel refers to as the prince of Persia. It would appear that in the days before Christ that each nation had a spiritual being that was in charge of the spiritual aspects of the nation. And they were all in rebellion against God. I mean, if you want to call them a patron angel or, I don't know, patron demon, I suppose, might be the case, you could call that. But it's interesting. This angel says that Michael is one of the chiefs of the princes. And in verse 21, it's a, he says, he calls Michael your prince. And so, it's possible that Michael was the prince of the nation of Israel. The one who, the one and only one 
who was loyal to God. So Michael may have been put in charge by God for the spiritual aspects of, of Israel. And this quite possibly might give us an explanation for some of the things that, that Scripture says that we kind of just kind of, you know, we read it and we just pass it off and don't think about it again because we have no idea what it's saying. But this might give us some explanations of things. For example, in Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, it says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So, picture this. This does not come originally to me, but after I read Michael Heiser's work, I'm like, oh, so remember that name, Michael Heiser. You want to read some interesting books. But it made me think. It says when, when he divided mankind, when did he divide mankind? Babylon. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people. How many? According to the number of the sons of God. So there were these spiritual princes, for lack of a better term, that he said, all right, you can, ha you can have those nations. Here's rebellious humans now under the power of rebellious spiritual beings. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. So out of all of rebellious humanity who are under the influence of these rebellious spiritual beings, he picks out one nation by picking, first picking out one man. I'm going to take Abraham, one man, and I'm going to make my nation out of him. This is going to be my people. But then from him shall come a Savior, and then I'm going to start taking people from every nation. I'm going to take people back. This is amazing stuff. This also, what we're seeing here, might explain why Michael is called the ar an archangel in the book of Jude. And while he, he, he fights for Jerusalem, in, in, in Revelation 12, 7, it talks about this. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Spiritual battles. There's this prince of Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire. He was able to oppose God's angel and prevent him from carrying out his task. It wasn't until Michael came to help this angel out to kind of break him free or break through the blockade, or I mean, I don't know how it worked, that this angel was able to come and visit Daniel and give Daniel the answer he was seeking and he was praying for to give the vision. Um, you know, so I mentioned before, this might be an explanation of what was going on in Jerusalem. Because guess what? The, in Jerusalem, they were facing opposition. They were facing local governors and whatnot who did not want the city rebuilt, who did not want the temple rebuilt. You look at the book of Nehemiah and you see all the opposition he went through to try and rebuild the wall. Yet those were nothing but the merely human elements. There was something going on behind the scenes. There were spiritual forces of darkness 
that were fighting against them. And they fight against us as well. Now, if you're like me, one of the first questions you might ask is, why in the world would God allow that? Why would God allow that to play out? You know, I mean, wouldn't God just come down? I mean, I, boy, that's probably a really wrong theological way to say it. But wouldn't God just come and, you know, like punch the nose of the Prince of Persia or something, you know, just to let his angel through or, or something like that? I mean, what? I don't know how things actually work in the spiritual realm. They, they probably don't have noses, but I have, you know, we, don't, we humans, we don't have any way of describing what's going on. But why would God allow that? You, you think of the book of Job. I mean, you see God here. He's completely in control, and he sets limits to what Satan can do, but he allows Satan to do certain things. God is this all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God, and, and, and yet he allows the spiritual battles to play out. I mean, just continuous battles between angels and demons. What's the deal? I mean, I, how do you explain that? How do humans even begin to grasp that? I mean, I, I like how one author explained it. This is what he wrote. He, he wrote this. He said, while God can, of course, override the united resistance of all the forces of hell, if he, if he chooses to do so, he accords to demons certain limited powers of obstruction and rebellion, somewhat like those that he allows for humans. In both cases, the exercise of free will in opposition to the Lord of heaven is permitted by him when he sees fit. But as Job indicates, the malignity of Satan is never allowed to go beyond the due limit set by God. God has things going on in history. He has a plan, and he's, he's behind the scenes of behind the scenes, working out his plan. So this angel says he's got this vision to give Daniel quickly because he has to return to the battlefield. He's going to help Michael fight the prince of Persia. And then, so nonchalantly, he mentions that after that, they're going to have to do battle against the prince of Greece, which is weird because, well, the prince of Greece hasn't risen yet. That's the next empire that was going to come on the scene several years from then. The prince of Greece would be the demonic power that would be behind Alexander the Great's rise to power. That's in the future. How did the angel know that? Because he says it's written in the book of truth. It's written in something called the book of truth. That the book of truth seems to be God's book of how he's going to work in history. What's going to happen in history, at least. And in the next two chapters, I mean, the angel is going to tell Daniel some of the things that are, going to, that are in that book that pertain to the nation of Israel. So I don't know about you. This is mind-blowing stuff to me. This is... That is real. That is reality. There might be things going on in your life. Well, let's face it. All of us got things going on in our lives. And the it might be the result of spiritual battle. What can we do about it? We can, we can participate in those battles through prayer. Through putting on the armor of God. By we can do battle by taking on the mind of Christ. Letting our minds be renewed being transformed. 
and do battle. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against these powers, princes, rulers, authorities behind the scenes. But before I close, I just want to mention something really quick. First, I know the topic of angels is interesting. And some people have gone to many different extremes when it comes to angels. Um, people who worship angels, don't do that. I mean, you, you remember when John was interacting with an angel in, in, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, and he starts worshiping the angel, the angel's like, no, don't do that. Worship God alone. And, well, Peter kind of did the same thing in the book of Acts. Angel came to get him out of prison. He falls down, worships the angel. Angel's like, stop, don't do that. So we got to be careful with the extremes. You know, there's the extreme of just ignoring angels and demons. But you can't because they do influence what's going on around us. But the other extreme is to become so obsessed with them that you give them the attention that belongs to God alone. So we got to be sober when we look at angels and demons. Be careful not to go beyond what Scripture uh, says. Author Stephen Miller, he, he gives us some facts that we can kind of... You want to know what, angel, what we know about angels? One, angels are real. Two, there are good and evil angels. Three, angels can influence the affairs of human beings. Um, particularly, this passage teaches that angels inspire human governments and their leaders. Four, there is an invisible spiritual warfare being raged that involves angels and believers. And this warfare is an ongoing struggle and will be until Christ returns. You know, it, it would be great if we could say, okay, I just want to retire from the battle, you know, take a rest, take a breather, but the battle's going to keep going on until Christ returns. And five, God's angels act on behalf of the saints. They are called ministering spirits, and so they do minister to God's people. But we don't worship them. We don't pray to angels. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one God, the triune God. And so we go to God. So something, you know, I think even believers do, and I don't know if they know that they do it, is it's like they start trying to command angels. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say something to the effect, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release the angels on such and such and such and such. Look, you ain't, no. You ain't releasing nothing. You go to God. And, you know, we, we think that, you know, we can start rebuking demons left and right. You pray to God against the demons. In the book of Jude, we're warned that we don't try and go up against Satan. Even Michael, the archangel, will not go up against Satan. But he says, the Lord rebuke you. That is our spiritual warfare. That is our power. We are children of God. We go to him. We allow him to empower we allow him to act and we allow him to work in the spiritual realm however it is he works in the spiritual realm 
Lord, if there's demonic activity behind this, you, oh Lord, you dispatch your angels and you do what you do in the spiritual realm. You might, you might put it a little bit more eloquently than I do, but, you know, we go to the Lord. We have one mediator, one, and that's Jesus Christ and no other. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.